Welcome back to On the Horizon podcast, hosted by Jesse Sage and Melrose Michaels. First, thank you so much for becoming a premium subscriber and supporting our podcast. This is getting you extra exclusive, unheard and unseen footage from each interview that we have on the horizon. Juniper Fitzgerald is first and foremost a mother. She's written extensively on her intersection of motherhood and sex work and considers herself an anti-capitalist. She holds a PhD, but please don't hold that against her. Before we even hit record on this episode, you brought up this idea around empathy. And I think that that's really Mm -hmm. magical. I'd love for you to expand on that. Okay, so um, empathy. I definitely think, I'm not sure that the sex industry writ large has taught me empathy, but my relationships with other laborers have definitely taught Mm -hmm. me empathy. Um, And I just, I've had so many diverse experiences in the sex industry that when, and who, who knows what life would have been like without those experiences, right? Like never a no. However, my child is in this stage of growth that is apparently like a pre-teenager hormonal shift. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, whoa, like that's what I hear myself saying almost every day. I'm like, whoa. The responses to the, I mean, things are just really emotional right now. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Um, uh, I do think that I have a certain, um, and not to toot my own horn, because I definitely fuck up parenting all the time, but there's a certain like empathetic place that I go to that I felt like I learned in the sex industry, you know, mm-hmm, when mm-hmm. you, I mean, when you're navigating all of these really big personalities, like I think of the first strip club I ever worked at and like, meeting some girls that were really fucking scary and because <laughs> they're like intense and beautiful and wonderful, but also scary and like navigating their big emotions definitely taught me a lot about empathy. And I, mm-hmm. I, hope, I hope at least that I can bring that to my relationship with my kid. Um, I'm not always great at it, but you know, just being able to sit with big, big emotions that I don't quite understand is Mm -hmm. definitely a gift um, that I've received from other laborers in the sex industry. I was actually thinking um, about like, as you were talking about the relationships you had with workers, I've also found that like um, the fact that like with like customers and clients, you have to give them like so much direct, like emotional attention, Mm -hmm. like a hold, like so much space, like for how somebody else is feeling is also like something that you can bring to like parenting. I was thinking about that as you were talking, like it's really easy to, um, to get like caught up in your day-to-day life and to not be paying attention to what's going on. And um, then like when you're at work or at least when I'm at work, like it's a time that I'm like, not checking Twitter at the same time as I'm having a conversation and, you know, like trying to give somebody some like attention that they feel like they want and need, but then it's easy to extrapolate from that and be like, Oh, but like everybody wants this kind of like, yeah. <laughs> to be like seen and to be like validated, um, and, validated. Yeah. and like, that's also like taking time out. Like even when you're at home to like do that with, even when you're at home with your kids, like yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to do that, I think is like, to me, I was thinking about that as you were talking. But also the flip side to that is um, also learning boundaries. When I started in the sex industry, um, I, God, I have this horrible story that I write about in my book that's coming out that I just really don't even want to put energy into repeating here. But, um, you know, I, 
just had, I had no idea how to say no to yeah. shit. And that's not a problem of the sex industry. That's a problem of the way that girls are raised. Yeah. yeah. You, know? Mm-hmm. you know, and, and it was through these encounters of like, what the fuck, man, that I started to develop the language to be like, no. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I think even my, you know, I have a few parent friends here that are really cool. Um, and you know, even those parents don't have, there's still an element of like a sense that it's a women and girls duty to like appease. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, and so some of the lessons of the sex industry that I've garnered are like, "Mm, no, (laughs) maybe if they're paying you, but don't do that shit for free. Like, yeah. (laughs) I think yeah, that's like I think the, that's really important. This, actually, uh, the biggest strength a woman can have in business is the like solidarity in your voice, like knowing your voice and knowing when to say no, because that's like the one thing we well, not one thing. There's many things we don't have an upper hand on and on the playing field, but that's one of the biggest ones is like saying no. You don't have to please everyone. You don't have to make everyone happy. Yeah. You have to walk mm-hmm. in the room and wonder like instead of they do they like me? Do I like them? Like yeah. flipping that inner narrative that's that takes a lot of work. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that that's really good because um, I, I see that with other parents, like not wanting to say no to things or trying to like make their kids like happy. And like recently with my teenager, he wanted to go to this like party after homecoming. And I was like, is anybody going to be there? And he's like, no, no, no parents are going to be there. And I was like, no, you're not going to that. And he was really mad at me. And I was like, Whatever. Like, I don't want him to be at this thing that I have no idea whose house it is. And, um, oh, I love that your mind went to like saying no to your kid. That's equally important. I guess what I was thinking about was like teaching my kid to say no. Oh, yeah. That, oh, that's true. That's point. true, too. I, I need my kid to know that like nobody can just like touch your hair. Nobody, yeah. like, even the smallest thing. No, you get to turn around and be like, do not do that. Right. No, I totally agree with that. I was thinking of like, there's safety and boundaries for kids too, you know? And like, it's for me, it's been easier, I think, to be like, no, I don't, I don't care that other people are doing that. Like, you're still not doing it. (laughs) Yeah. um, And there's like some safety in that. (laughs) I think like the the peer pressure. I I don't have kids, obviously. So that speaking on the subject, I have less to give. I feel like, but when you, even just you talking, like when you're saying no to your kid, we had this whole conversation earlier about your other child, yeah. and uh, how it's like. I hear you. I validate your feeling. I don't care. Like this is <laughs> this is what is happening. So I think even the power from a mom to say that and for a kid to receive that is like, oh, like I'm being heard. I I'm, I feel seen, but the decision has been made. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I I feel that. And but uh, like what you're saying, too, I think is really important. And I see this with like my especially my littlest son, because he's autistic and is nonverbal. And so, so much of the work that they're trying to do is like, say hi to them when they come in the room and say bye. And he does need to learn some things. But like, I also want him to know that like, he doesn't he doesn't need to be like, forced into things that are like very uncomfortable for him yeah mm-hmm. yeah for sure yeah it's interesting that you were talking about it the other way I've, I've ex- I find myself explaining that to my husband a lot not like to educate him but just to like make my case like this is where I'm coming from when I'm talking to you about something is that like the whole societal structure especially for female 
um, children, especially it's beat into you. Like I remember growing up, I was always too loud. I was always, you know, being told to be quiet. I was always too bossy, which I, I always looking back now is so funny because like, no, I'm like, uh, I have leadership qualities and like, I like to take charge of things, but like to my mom and me being a kid, I was bossy or like all of these characteristics where as you're, when you're an adult and you're like a fully formed human, mm-hmm. you look back on, you're like, no, those are just my character traits. And you were just mm-hmm. telling me to make them small because it was uncomfortable for you or for the situation or the circumstance. Right. And like, I just, I hope that I don't do that to my kids. I hope that I'm not a product that, you know, does the cycle. But I remember that so vividly. You won't. You'll be a great mom. Um, (laughs) Another another thing that I um, experienced as a kid was um, being called dramatic. And like the way that I would try to talk about like the way that my own um, body had been violated as a kid the response was always like, you're being dramatic. And so um, to be able to be surrounded by a community of people who are marginalized um, and really do understand consent in in a way that um, is stronger, I think, than the vast majority of at least Americans Mm -hmm. um, has has really influenced my um, ability to trust my child. Like when Mm -hmm. they say that something is uncomfortable, um, mm-hmm. like leaving it yeah. <laughs> and not, yeah. not uh, minimizing it. Yeah, minimizing it. Phoenix Kalita is a former sex worker turned public speaker, podcast creator, and host. Her lived experience in survival and street-based sex work as an Afro-queer Latina and survivor of sexual violence and police brutality has molded her into an outspoken advocate for anti-racism, income inequality, and sex worker rights. As a woman of color with chronic illness and mental health issues, she is a passionate voice for mental health visibility, access to care, and speaking truth to gender and racial bias within healthcare frameworks. You know, I would like to also bring up this topic because we kind of spoke about it in another uh, interview yesterday when we were on this parenting topic. And it was how like kind of the feminist movement and their feelings towards bodily autonomy and abortion doesn't always translate into our movement. And like why often there's doesn't. Yeah. almost always <laughs> doesn't and why there's this disconnect. I wondered if you could expand on that, too, if you had any thoughts. Yeah, why I think that is. Yeah. Like why those things aren't connecting. Um, or I guess well, you can explain why they should, but I feel like that's obvious. <laughs> well, I think it should. Um, I think that they just don't connect because um, a lot of feminists are white and have money. And mm-hmm. that's kind of that. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. I always hate like saying it like that because it sounds so reductive, but I'm pretty convinced like that's like a big part of the problem because mm-hmm. for a lot of women, um, having an abortion is something that you might actually have to do at some point in your life. Right. Mm-hmm. But like theoretically, you know, um, based on the messing messaging that we get from society, if you live your life right, there's really not odds you're going to be a sex worker because good yeah. girls don't do that. Yeah. An abortion, you may end up in a, you may end up in a spot, you may end up in a situation. Right. But right. As far as like being a sex worker or being like a homeless woman who, uh, you know, is like experiencing like sexual violence on the streets, things like that. Like there's really we're still even a lot of feminists are still very much stuck in that sort of. um, But if I follow the rules and do things right, I won't end up there. And so I I think that that's a big part of the reason that they don't care. Um, Yeah, a lot of so distant. If you've never been in a situation in which like you're just trying to survive, like that feels so distant. Yeah. I think, um, that's like, 
I don't can we can we make it like the Lay Miz test, right? Like Lay Miserable. Remember when that was that like twenty years ago now? It feels like forever ago that shit came out with like Anne Hathaway. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But um just like it was it was so interesting watching um like reviews and critiques of that movie. Like you could tell who had done sex work and who didn't. Because <laughs> 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 like, like she's cutting off her hair and selling her teeth. And I was like, she probably should have kept the teeth in here and she could have charged more, really. <laughs> um, like, that was like a very like those were the two sides of that conversation. And it was like, I feel like if you get the latter one, you understand why abortion rights should be part of sex work. But if the first yeah. one you thought, you should probably talk to more sex workers about why your shit like isn't including them <laughs> you know yeah um, so funny once you have done sex work like i feel like i don't know i have like a brain that works to like all the time like wait how like how can i like <laughs> yeah yeah get in on that <laughs> yeah how do i make this work for me or charge this and like mm. yeah yeah seriously yeah no i think that but i also think that that really does speak to um you know, obviously, one resilience of sex workers to be able to survive um, and show versatility to survive in these type of situations. But, you know, it does speak to that sort of thing of um, how just wild this shit sounds if you've never lived it or you've never yeah. been close yeah. to experiencing it or you've never had to seriously consider, like, I really may not be able to pay them my rent this month. So I may be in a situation, you know, for the yeah. rest of the month or whatever. But, like, I think that's the biggest thing is they it's just so foreign to them that they can't imagine it. But because it's foreign, it's really easy to other sex workers and just shit yeah. on sex workers because it's like, well, are they even real people? Like, they're not here with us. Like, right. they're people, you know, the regular mm-hmm. people. Right. You know? And so it really does, I think, feed that stigma um, as well, I think the fact that like sex work is so underground also contributes to that because sex workers are among all of the people who think that they aren't. Yeah, <laughs> they just can't be outspoken about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely, but you know, I think that those are you know some of the reasons for it, and I also think that um, let's be honest, a lot of um, feminists who are anti-sex worker are also anti-trans, and yeah. a lot of yeah, sex absolutely. workers are trans just. You know, which again, like, you know, saying was like, they don't deserve living wages. Why do they do sex work? Like, you know, we should be able to discriminate against trans people. Don't hire trans women. Also, why are so many trans women doing sex work? Yeah. (laughs) Right. Right. I don't know. You know. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like, like, yeah, they have like blind spots where they can't connect those dots where like anyone who's worked in the industry, like can so easily connect all those dots. Everyone just why, why there are so many trans folks and so many disabled folks and so many caretakers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They all miss the cause and effect part of third grade because that was like (laughs) real evident. but, (laughs) (laughs) but But then you think about it, like what groups are most overrepresented in sex work and which groups are most underrepresented mm-hmm. um, underrepresented in like the modern feminist or the current feminist movement right right mm-hmm. not really a safe for like non-white women it's not really a safe for tra- a space for trans women it's not really yeah. a space for sex workers it's not a space for disabled women it's not a space for like women in poverty like right not a space for um you know people who are like non-binary but still like lean femme or look femme or assigned female at birth even if they don't identify as women like all these people who are overrepresented right. overrepresented in sex work are under represented in feminism and like i kind of feel like that should tell us something yeah Yeah, absolutely yeah (laughs) what about like talking about sexuality with your kids do you feel like Mm -hmm. you were well equipped to be able to do that because of your like history (laughs) 
I think so. Yes. I mean, you always like want to, um, you know, try to like gauge what you're telling your kids, make sure, right. It's age appropriate or it's not sure. too much, but, um, no, I think that overall it's easier. Like, you know, so obviously like you've seen some things, so you already are coming in, um, with like more world experience than most folks. Yeah. Right. So mm-hmm. you're already more comfortable, but also, um, I just find that like sex workers are less shamey in general. Yeah. Like, yeah. Okay, well, this isn't new. I've seen this before. Yeah, I've heard right. that before. Mm-hmm. That's not the first time someone's asked me about that, you know? Yeah, I right. Think, like that sort of um, being able to be chill about it is really helpful when talking to your kids because a lot of parents, I think, go in well-meaning, but they're like so stressed out themselves that like so reactive. Yeah. the kids are like, okay, now I'm going to talk to you about sex. You don't have to have sex, but if you do, here's how you use it. And it's like this very tense. This is how you use it. Right. It's just uncomfortable for everyone. And it's like, right. Relax, relax. It's fine. Right. (laughs) We're actually going to talk about sex. It's a thing that people do like, you know, chill and have a conversation and talk about gender and sexuality and consent and all those things. And, you know, I also think that it's important just in terms of like sex education and honestly, even gender issues as well. Like sex workers are really good at negotiating consent and boundaries. Mm-hmm. Better than the general public, I would say. Yeah. So, yeah, if you want people to teach sex ed to your kids, you should probably hire sex workers, right? If yeah. People be like, oh, she's saying this, she wants them to fuck the kids, right? Like, of course, that's how people are going to frame it. But, like, no, yeah. seriously, you should be asking sex workers, like, ask expert, experts on um, boundaries and consent and negotiation to teach kids about boundaries, consent, and negotiations because right, yeah, right. Mm-hmm. this shit we currently have is a disaster. I remember when I was doing a lot of phone sex, I would often have young people like call me to ask about like basically like sex education questions. Like, and I thought that was really interesting that like they didn't know where to turn because like they had no people who were teaching them that their like families didn't teach them about that. And so like, like one time I remember some, like a kid calling a kid, he was like 19. He was old enough to have a credit card, I guess. But like he called and said like, I'm about to have this thing with my roommate and I don't know like how to negotiate that. And I don't know like how to stop it if I don't like it. Cause mm-hmm. it was like another with, it was a, like he was gearing up to have like a first homosexual like experience and, you know, and, and I had to say to him, cause he was like, I'm, I'm afraid I don't want to start it because like, then I'll get to a point of no return. And I was like, well, wait, yeah. hold up. Like that doesn't exist. Yeah. <laughs> like, you can stop something that you start if it's not good for you. But like, nobody had ever told him that. Yep. Like wow. nobody had ever said like that sex isn't an on or off that like you could kiss and not like go any further. Yeah. You can like, <laughs> there's always an out. Like, yeah. yeah, you know, I think that's a common thread am- amongst most people that really don't understand consent in general. Yeah. Like, and that's what you mean by saying, like, the general population doesn't is are not experts on these things. They think once you say yes, it's all everyone yes can do whatever everything. they want. Every- yeah, the whole time. <laughs> right. No changing yeah. your mind. Well, yeah. And I think it's so evident, like everything from, you know, like that creepy ass MRA shit with the consent cards. The fuck is that? Oh, what is that? that? Tell us what that is. Oh, where like it's literally like a card that's saying like I consent to have sex with this person, and like you sign it and date it, and like uh, I, I preface this by saying MRAs, right? These are like men's rights activists, yeah, right, yeah. Right, 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 yeah. <laughs> that like that sort of like what is that they call it like manosphere, like the incels yeah. and the the men's rights activists and right, the right, right. artists. Yeah, 
that's <laughs> the best pit of the internet. But right. um, <laughs> but like, no, like they actually had these cards made up and they were like, going to sign the card. And that means like you're consenting to sex on this day at this time with this person and blah, blah, blah. So that like, then I can't be accused of rape after the fact. And I was like, you can absolutely be accused of rape after the fact. Yeah. Yeah. What are you talking about? Like, and then also like even just the how generic these cards were, it just said something like having sex. And I was like, well, what kind of sex? Right. Yeah, be specific. Because <laughs> like vaginal is not the same as anal. Like yeah. you know what I mean. And it's like, so so what kind of sex? Or like, are you talking about oral sex? Are you saying that like once someone signs this card, they can't revoke their consent? Like, what the fuck are you saying? Right. You know, but like people were like, This is a good idea. This will cut down confusion. And I was like, No. Like, yeah what's going on and you know yeah. that and also you know obviously like a lot of puranical teaching around consent that it's like that's what jesus wants and that's how you do it and you know if you're with someone you can't tell them no and i wish i could uh remember who did the study but i want to say it was a uk source and they were asking young people questions like um you know like high school college age folks and like it was just i don't remember what the number was but it was something wild it was almost like one in three of them almost like 30 percent thought that um if a man both men and women by the way said that like if a if a guy buys you dinner you're obligated to like have sexual contact with him and i was like that's not how consent works at all so yeah no no, just like sex work (laughs) also that part but then i don't want to talk about that yeah (laughs) Jet Setting Jasmine is a licensed psychotherapist and owner of Blue Pearl Therapy, a virtual mental health practice specializing in intimacy, post-injury, trauma, illness, and sex-positive parenting. Jasmine is co-owner, along with her partner, King Noir, of Royal Fetish Films, where the love of the arts, film, and sex education are combined to produce content that stimulates and engages the audience to explore sexual boundaries. How do you respond to people who say like, well, how would you feel if your kids did the work that you do? <laughs> yeah, I get that all the time. And I, I tell them that I would be, if this is the work that they want to do, I'd be proud of them because not only do I know that they'd be choosing that on their own, right? So there's yeah. no one is, we're not pushing our kids to be anything. We just yeah. like want them to, to be great at whatever it is that they want to do. Yeah. Um, so I'd be proud that they were able to make a, a independent decision and I would really feel much more secure than I probably would have ever felt in my life because I know that they're going to be the most prepared to join yeah. this industry mm-hmm. than, you know, if you would have asked me that before I, I consider myself a professional in this field, I may have taken pause because I do know that people do get exploited in this, yeah. in this line of work people enter this line of work, not knowing exactly what all it entails, you know, thinking yeah, that you absolutely. could do it anonymously. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I thought I mean? that actually, like I'm embarrassed when I think back to my early self and I was like, I just want to dip my toes in, but I'm going to, I'm not really going to be a part of it. And I will just like, stop when I feel like it. And I think I didn't yeah. understand that. Like, you can't take that shit back. Like, it's nope. there. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yep. For me, the first time I wrote my full name on like a, probably like a 2257 or a model release mm-hmm. and I needed my ID and I was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so this, this gets filed somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> this is a moment. <laughs> yeah. And I like right. always tell people that, like, especially at the beginning of the pandemic, when I was getting like inundated with like, how do I oh, work yeah. from home? How do I go online? How do I start an OnlyFans? Like I would say like, 
at this point in the internet, like you don't dabble. You either like do it yeah. or you don't you do it. Because like, I got that yeah. a lot in the yeah. beginning with the pandemic too, because there was a lot of people coming into like the digital space for like only yeah. They're like, well, I want to do this anonymously or, or how do I do it? I'm like, look, you can be like a no face model. Like people make livings like that, but like yeah. you still give your ID to this company yeah. to prove you're of age. That's not going anywhere. Like we have mm-hmm. to do that. Yeah. And we should have, like, there's a degree that mm-hmm. you need to verify your age. Like yeah. that's what sure. it is. Yeah. So mm-hmm. yeah, that was an interesting conversation. But yeah, I just yeah. think it's funny that you say that because yeah, there isn't, yeah. people will find yeah. out. It's not like when will people find out <laughs> it's, or it's not if people will find it's, out. It's, it's when. Like, it's yeah. when. Yeah. So yeah, for them, it, you know, if they are interested, I mean, even my daughter, she considers herself a part of the sex, like sex work adjacent um, yeah. because of the workshops that she does speaking about being adjacent to the sex yeah. work yeah. Um, community. So, you know, just, she appeared um, in a, a magazine re- about talking about porn and parenting. And it was just like one of those moments, like, this is where you don't get to pretend that like your mom is just a therapist. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, right. Yeah. Um, as well as when, um, you know, she does some, we, we do some management of, of talent in their content creation. And she runs like the, fi- the fiscal aspect of it. So they're yeah. already, well, at least she is, is already working in the industry and I couldn't be any more proud. Like she's using the skill set that she has. Yeah. Um, she's in a space that where she finds she, it's comfortable. And I think a lot of people also feel like the minute that they hear sex work or the sex industry, they can only, they only think about porn performers, yeah. right? Um, and not the many different people that we employ yeah. to get our content out there. Mm-hmm. And there, and I think the more we sort of normalize that the sex industry is beyond the the model, yeah. the more people will start to see like, oh, it is a, it's a legitimate industry. Yeah. It creates jobs there, you know? So yeah, um, I would not be, um, so my response to them usually is that I, I would be proud that they made this decision on their own. Um, and the second thing is that I feel much more safer and secure knowing that anything that my kids do, they're going to be better than me at it because I'm going to make sure that they have the skill set, the network, the, yeah. the yeah. tools to be safe and, and successful. Yeah. That's yeah. That's really great. Um, is there anything that you, mm. we didn't ask you about that you think is important to bring up in this topic? You know, I just, I know that you have such a wide, wide range of listeners. Um, and so my, my thought process is if, you know, we can see us here talking about our families, like every sex worker has like a whole, a whole yeah. story, you know, yeah. they have friends, they have family, they have children, they have pets, husbands, spouses, you know, um, we belong to to our families, whether those are families of choice or our family of origin. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I'm not saying that like, you know, treat every, treat every one of your sex workers, like your sister type of thing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that might be, that might be your thing, but, um, <laughs> but really like to, to normal, to get into the headspace of normalizing that um, yes, while we're here to provide a service and a fantasy and um, companionship that, to please continue to, or please think about respecting us mm-hmm. as very important people in our communities, very important people in our households. The interactions that we have with our fans inform 
how we how we respond in our communities and with our families. So, you know, sort of think, put that in in sort of the, your your mix of working with sex workers, um, and I think it'll be a safer experience for all of us when we see each other as you know full full comprehensive human beings. Um, I also think that for those of us who have children and are listening to this and um, feel like I would never tell my kids that I'm a sex worker, I encourage you to, to take some time with that thought, you know, is it around the shame of the work that you do? Mm-hmm. Um, and if so, you know, that could be worked through. I, I you know, su- suggest a lot of us carry shame for a lot of things, not necessarily just the type of work that we do. Maybe it's the messaging that we heard growing up mm-hmm. um, or how society makes you feel about the work that you do. But sometimes what we won't say is a reflection of what we're experiencing, more of a projection. Mm-hmm. And um, I think about those folks that are trying to live those double lives that one, there's so much freedom in being who you are. Yeah. Um, there's benefits and in, in the there is no consequence in my opinion that is that is bigger than being authentic to who I am. Mm. And I always would prefer that my children and my family learned about what I did through me yeah. and not through the news or yeah. <laughs> the newspaper. Um, I would certainly hope that they are n- never shocked by something someone may say about me or share about me because I don't tell them every single detail but they will never be shocked about the fact that this is the decision that I've made for my life. Mm-hmm. And in doing that, even if they don't agree, I'm giving them the defense. If Should they choose to want to defend me? And I'm also giving them the choice to disconnect if yeah. they choose to do that. So, you know, I believe that we can give people choices without taking away our own. We hope you enjoyed this bonus footage from this episode of On the Horizon, and we look forward to having you tune in next time.